Um, I would say anytime someone starts thinking, okay, how do I get out of this space, right? Even if it's like, okay, I wait to go home after work, right? Or I can't wait till my next class. Like those are signs of like your body's letting you know, I have to get out of here, right? Fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's a flight. I got to go. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a special guest in the building today, uh, Kayla Bell Consolver. She is a licensed medical health counselor and the director of the Drake University Counseling Center. Uh, Kayla, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the topic for the day, night, uh, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and kind of what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, so I'm originally from Florida, um, and so I claim that. Okay. Uh, and so I <laughs> uh, moved to Illinois when I was in uh, like almost high school, second year of my eighth grade, and then kind of came to Drake. Uh, I was a student athlete. Uh, part of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. I have my hands tied in a lot of stuff. Loved research and all of that. Um, I love just honestly lifting weights, coloring, just trying to expand myself as many ways as possible. But what gets me up in the morning probably has to do a lot with my feel. Just the fact that I know um, what I'm capable of, and I love my light, and I love helping my light shine to others so they can recognize their light as well. And just doing that repeatedly every day. It uh, just gives me so much excitement uh, just waking up in the morning. Yeah. And you can really see that from your social. I'll definitely post that in the description. The social is popping. Like I, I see that <laughs> it's like you can't help but be like, yeah. OK, I'm ready. You know what I'm saying? So oh, that's I really, good. <laughs> I appreciate the energy on Instagram. for real. <laughs> Yeah, I just be having fun of me and silly. So I was surprised that people were just vibing with me like that, honestly. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah. You know what? With these times, this time in 2022, we need some light and just some yeah. some fun. You know, there's there's serious things going on. So not saying that that's not there. That but that will always be there. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I'm not trying to go through all the day thinking about all the negativity. That's just right. That's lame. But um, I know that you primarily focus on you know at the university at Drake University with the with the uh, students there that mm-hmm. you focus a lot on anxiety and, and trauma and. And specifically in the LGBTQ plus community and in um, uh, people with people of color. Mm-hmm. Right? Is, that, is that right? Am I, am I saying that correctly? That kind of, yes, you're, you're absolutely on board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things, you know, anxiety is, you know, among one of the most common mental health conditions. But what we what I've noticed is that, you know, many you know black people fear that mental health stigma. Right. Right. And kind of maybe sometimes avoid treatment. But with what you do at the the university, what have you noticed about the types of when people come into your office, um, 
do you see that fear? Are you seeing less people than you think you should? What does that look like? Right. Yeah. Are you speaking in terms of just like in general, like my students of color? Just students of color. Yeah. Um, so it's complex. I would say I see lately, which has been, you know, pretty heavy on my heart is I see the anxiety of just like, I don't know what to say. Uh, somebody's going to say something, right. I'm going to have to protect myself. Right. I see a lot of that. Or I feel like I'm going to have to overexert myself um, to stand up for me and people who look like me, all people of color. So I see that anxiety there. But lately, I've been seeing a lot more kind of like depressive symptoms, uh, which is why I say that's weighed heavy on me. I've seen a lot of feelings of worthlessness, right? Because underneath that, you know, I matter. I want you to care about I matter. It hurts me that you can't see my value, right? Mm-hmm. Is someone feeling like I have to prove my worth. So I see that so often, I think, with my students of color is that feeling of like I have to prove that I have value. I have to prove that um, I'm worth something, right? And so underneath that, which is what I do a lot of work in, is helping them to recognize that's worthlessness, right? I wonder how you're feeling, right? Uh, I'm worthless because I'm Black, right? Um, And that can feel really heavy. And so I've seen that most often recently. I imagine when, you know, things were a little more in your face is like what I'll describe it as. Um, It was a lot more anxiety, just the steady of trying to prepare for what's going to happen. But lately, I think I've definitely seen the depressiveness. And the reason I say that is because the hopelessness, right? Things are never going to get better. Uh, I'm so tired of doing all this. You know, I'm exhausted. Uh, I don't even know if I want to be here anymore. Um, Sometimes that is suicidal thoughts. And sometimes that's just I don't want to be in Iowa anymore. I don't want to be at my university anymore. And so lately, I would say that's a common thing I've seen or feeling like I invalidate myself. My feelings don't matter. You know, uh, just a lot of that feeling of invisibility um, and validation. And then let's imagine, right, that that's the only issue in their life. Right. You tackle family issues where they felt that it's just double activated. Right. So then they're dealing with the weights of the world and the weights of our ancestors as well. And it's just so much to carry, which is what I've been noticing. Right. And I can only imagine because it's not like um, I don't know the the exact number, so I don't want nobody tripping on me. But I'm sure at, you know, at Drake that there aren't a lot of people of color that are as far as students. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can only imagine you're going to the school. Um, you don't see a whole lot of people that look like you. There's a lot of racial injustice going on in the world and you don't have a whole lot of people to talk to. And the mm-hmm. people you're around are the majority of people that don't, they just don't look like you have nobody to, to connect with. Are you noticing that being maybe a little bit of a, of a concern or issue on why this, of this trans, transition from just being mostly anxiety to depression? Yeah, I would say um, one, thankfully it's a lot better than when I went, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. more things done for retention. So there's certain spaces, right. Um, everybody does everyone have access to those spaces maybe not and so what i'm starting to see is there's spaces to process it but everybody's processing the same pain but when you leave that space right you're in a classroom there aren't a lot of people that look like you there right so in the spaces where you might get triggered you might get activated you might experience racial trauma or microaggressions you're by yourself so i've seen that more and then they're in the space you just kind of sit with it until you get back to that space right where you feel like you can collectively talk about it Um, Who knows how long that would be? Um, Let's say you have a group of friends that are friends of color, right? Then you can talk about it. But if you don't have that a lot, then you wait in longer periods until you're within that space. And so I think that in itself has started to simmer. 
But again, America recently, you know, wanted to take a, a strong, I would say, uh, active movement towards, you know, injustices. But what that means, there's more conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's awkward conversations. And so Absolutely. then we're in this space where people who don't know a lot uh, about the issues or don't, you know, don't care about it or are trying, but, you know, are really struggling. They're having these conversations in these spaces where they're the only person of color. And so that is creating the weight as well, because then it's like, okay, do I speak uh, in this space? Do I hold it to myself? What's going to happen to me if I disagree? You know, all these things are going through the mind and that's the anxiety. And then that feeling of like, well, I didn't say anything right now. I have shame. Now I feel like my voice doesn't matter. And then now I'm leaving and now I'm angry. Right. And then if I'm angry, all of a sudden, like, okay, then I'm a stereotype. And so I've seen that pattern happening quite a bit just because in classrooms, right, there's an increase on the campus. But in classrooms, there's still that feeling of isolation. Right. So how does one. Well, one, how does one recognize that? Oh, my gosh, I think I may be experiencing anxiety. You know, how, what are some of the kind of telltale signs and what are some maybe simple things that people can do to kind of work through that outside, of course, you know, seeing a mental health professional? Yeah. So the first telltale sign is always in the body. Right. We like to think of anxiety as like it's worry thoughts. Right. Often mm-hmm. we think of our mindset, but it's really your body. Your body is recognizing a threat. It's recognizing that you might get harmed in this space, whether that's verbally, physically, morally. Um, so your heart rate might start, your heart rate might increase significantly, right? You might feel like a tightness in your chest. Uh, I often see legs are bouncing, right? Moving around your hands and you're kind of looking around the room a lot, um, when your body moves a lot faster than, um, what is used in that space, I would say that's a warning sign that, okay, I'm starting to feel anxious. I'm starting to feel worried. Um, we start really trying to predict what's going to happen next, right? Oh, that person, they're about to say something that's going to be hurtful. The professor isn't going to respond, right? Now I'm starting to uh, create a sense of predictability right around my feeling of not being safe or heard or what have you. And so those are some basic warning signs in that moment. Um, I would say anytime someone starts thinking, okay, how do I get out of this space, right? Even if it's like, okay, I wait to go home after work, right? Or I can't wait till my next class. Like those are signs of like your body's letting you know, I have to get out of here, right? Fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's a flight. I got to go. Um, so those are some basic warning signs that happen, right? That we can call anxiety. I don't think people of color often use that language, but that is what anxiety is, okay? Uh, something that often can you can do if you're not in uh, if you're not in counseling is like some basic groundedness. So what I often do is I breathe, right? I check in when my, my heart's beating fast, when my chest is tightening, my stomach hurts, right? That's letting me know my body is like not feeling okay with what's happening mm-hmm. around me. And so just some simple like, Noticing my breath, noticing the way my body's responding to my breathing is something I can do. If someone wants to even just put their feet on the ground, right, and just notice what the ground feels like, right, just notice what the chair feels like, because in that moment, anxiety is taking you to another place. It's taking you to a place where you might need to protect yourself. And that's you leaving your body. That's you leaving the experience. And so I would say just kind of getting grounded in that if you feel like you're okay in that space, right? If you have a water bottle, Drink some water, right? If you have something that you can fidget with and play with your hands, even if it's like a backpack or it's a pocket or it's keys, you know, just allow yourself to touch something. Um, and if you need to take a break, you can leave the space, all right? There's power and permission in that to go outside, take a breather, walk around a little bit, use the bathroom, whatever you need. And then if you feel okay to re-enter, I would say that's another thing you can do then. 
right? This is gonna this is gonna be a weird question. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it is it normal for someone to almost be comfortable in their anxiety? And what what I mean by that is, um, I know when we had spoke before, uh, we had both worked at Orchard Place. Yes. So I worked at Orchard Place back in the day, treatment counselor on the campus. Right. <laughs> and uh, as you as you know, it can get it can mm-hmm. get popping in the in these you know Orchard Place streets. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, can, it can be very. There are great days where you know the kids are having a great time. You're having a great time, but there are days where you might have that that ten to ten shift, and some kid may be going through their own struggles, mm-hmm. and they're gonna be like, "I'm gonna take this out on all of my staff," and it's a long day. Mm-hmm. And then you have those days over years. And then in my, in my experience, once I left Orchard Place and got my first, you know, you know, job as a, as a health coach, it was very uncomfortable for me getting out of that environment, going from being comfortable in chaos and that, that stress of, okay, I got to make sure my staff is safe. I got to make sure these kids are safe. I got to make yeah. sure I'm doing groups. I got to make this, that, and the third. I got to make sure so-and-so don't see so-and-so because they've been beefing to the next day it's just quiet yeah and you're like and now i'm like this ain't this isn't right mm-hmm. you know like this this isn't this doesn't feel good so now i'm stressed out because it's not i'm not in a stressful environment if that, if that makes if that makes sense have mm-hmm. you experienced any any students coming to you because maybe they've came from an environment that is unhealthy and now they're on a college campus and they don't know how to handle that. Yeah, I I see, I see so much of that. Uh, and honestly, people come to therapy because they just want to talk about it. So it's not even that step of I recognize I need to do something different. It's just like, ah, I kind of experienced this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I kind of view that when you ask, like, is it normal? Um, I would say yes. Like you just mentioned comfort and chaos, right? Because we love and we thrive in predictable environments. And so anxiety at some point becomes predictable, mm-hmm. right? It's like you kind of drive in, you're driving on the highway, 80 to 90 miles per hour. All of a sudden the speed changes to like 60 and you don't notice, right? You just kind of cruising. And then you're like, oh shoot, you know, now it feels like you're driving super slow, right? It's the right. same kind of like you're shifting, but that's what you've been comfortable in. Um, and when I see that, I see that so often with anyone who's experienced trauma, but I see that very much when, you know, you're talking about like racial trauma, uh, of like, I'm just so used to it. Like, I just know this is, it is what it is. This is what right. I exist it in. Is it is. Um, because it can become scary to shift to something different. Right. And there's a lot of posts now talking about healing and how it is very scary to heal because you have to unlearn everything you already know. So sometimes it is very, it's much more comfortable to be in a space that I know, at least, at least if I know, if you're thinking about trauma, if my parent comes home and they drink alcohol, at least I know if they drink this much, there's going to be yelling and I can go to my room. Right. right. When they come and then they don't, they just sit on the couch, but they don't do anything. I don't know what's going to happen next. I can't prepare for that. Right. Um, so it's, I see that often in regards to that area. So when you come to college, same concept, right, of I'm used to having to deal with this at home. Now I have less control. Right. I don't know what's going to happen to my parent. I don't know what's going to happen to my siblings. 
I don't know what's going to happen to me if my professor doesn't like me, because if this if they didn't like me at home, right, this might be what happens. Um, and now I have someone telling me, you can do this, you can be successful. I'm not used to that. Well, you must be out to get me, you know? Right. Um, it's kind of that piece is what I hear with your question. Right, right. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, how does it feel being the the person or the professional to really help these kids? You know, it. I don't know what it was like when you were at Drake or if you if you had maybe someone there to speak with, but I can only imagine being a new student or maybe going through, you know, anxiety or depression and being able, being of color, being a black man and being able to go speak to someone that looks like me. What does that yeah. feel like to know that, Hey, you're there to be able to comfort these kids. Yeah. yeah. The feeling is so surreal. Uh, I actually, I don't think I've processed it yet. Like I was talking mm. to somebody this week and they're like, Kayla, aren't you like the youngest and the first black uh, director? And I'm like, I guess I am, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I haven't like kind of wrapped my head around it uh, because that's important. Right. Just yeah. being the director and then being like a young black director might blows my mind because yeah, when I was a student, I, and I tell the students I and to be an alum. Right. So they, they feel right. even more connected. Uh, I tell them I didn't know what the counseling center was when I was undergrad. And if I did, I didn't find out. So maybe my junior or senior year. And I'm like, well, I'm about to go. I don't know anything about this. Right. right, uh, right. And I knew there was no one that looked like me. So I was like, I'm not going anywhere talking about what I'm dealing with. Uh, <laughs> so it's so full circle for me. And I can't, I honestly, it's really hard for me to answer the question because I, I can't even conceptualize what that feels like for them to be able to say, my friend told me to come talk to you. This professor told me to come talk to you. I'm reading documentation now that says we would like Kayla to reach out to this student. You know, just the mm. fact that they can ask, right, right, for a counselor of color. They can pick up the phone and say, what availability does Kayla have? They can sit in front of someone and say, you know, I feel way more comfortable talking about race because I feel like you understand. Right. And we can talk about all these other aspects. And so for me, even like the other, like any of the other students, I feel, especially my queer ones, you know, um, for them to feel like you get it. Right. And I do therapy in a way it's like, I don't have to say, I understand what that feels like. I don't do a lot of like that, but I can talk in a way and I speak the language enough where they mm. feel seen and heard. Um, right. That brings so much joy. And when I tell you, I see the rise in students of color coming into my office. I like, it's just, it, I don't know how to describe it. It just brings up so much joy and light. Like it's almost like indescribable of what's happening. And students tell me, you know, all the time, uh, Corey is like, if I had never met you or saw you, I would have never become a counselor. I can tell you how many times I've heard that. Um, wow. Just creating a space, you Yo, know. That's too much for me to take in. And it's not even me. Yeah. <laughs> like that's <laughs> right. <laughs> and I meet a new one every week, you know, it's just like, woo, you know. Man, so, but but that's yeah. that's so dope. That's yeah. so that's so dope. And but that brings up another great question, Kayla, is a lot of outside of Drake, there may be a lot of colleges and universities out there that students um, may encounter a clinician that does that may not recognize the the impact of you know, racial trauma or be able to connect with them on the same level that you may be able to right. you know connect with them on. So if you're speaking to that health professional, you know, that, that person that can't really connect because they don't, they don't have the same experiences. Yeah. What are some things that they can do to 
at least, you know, sympathize or, you know, be able right. to connect with the person that's coming to them for help. Honestly, I'm speaking candidly. That's probably one of the most frustrating things I get in my field is uh, when, when I hear that, right. Because in my mind it's like, get out your head. Right. Mm-hmm. I personally, I mean, I work with clients that are transgender. I don't know that experience, but I know how to be present. All right. Right. I have mm-hmm. training and knowledge. Right. I work with my white clients. I don't have permission, <laughs> you know, right. to not know what to do. Um, my clients that let's say they have had suicide attempts. I've never had a suicide attempt, you know, so when when they start to get into that space of saying like, well, I don't know how to relate to them. And my mind is like, you haven't, that doesn't show up in your other, you know, situations, unless you're right. working with people who have had all the same experiences as you. I don't understand that barrier, unless so, that barrier is bias. You right. Know what I'm I was going to yeah. say, why do you think it's so hard? Because this comes up a lot when we're talking about yeah. uh, black and brown people of not mm-hmm. being able to to treat them the same. So, and I agree with you. If you have the skill set, you, it's not, especially if you're in a helping profession, you should be able to help anyone. But Mm -hmm. why is that so hard to, to just do that? Right. And for me, when I understand, like in my work in DEI, it is that implicit bias, right. Or that, uh, that feeling of invisibility, AKA colorblindness. Right. And so, if you can't actually believe their experience and what they're going through, it's going to be hard for you to know how to counsel that. Mm -hmm. Right. If you believe that it's irrational, but you feel like if I call it that I'm racist, right. It's going to be really hard for you to interact with that. And so that's why I say, get out of your head. Like how would you respond to someone that came in with any concern that you've never experienced directly, unless that opens the door to say that maybe we don't know how to counsel people that haven't been through something that you've gone through. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but what I would say to them is honestly, like one, do your research, explore the barriers, explore the, the concerns, right? Because with people of color, and especially my experience with like black people, um, we thrive in relationships, right? So even with me, I can have the best techniques in the world, but if I don't know how to build a relationship, because our community is built on relationships yes. and many marginalized groups are, you're missing it. And so with counselors, like, can you build that relationship that also honors their experiences and honors mm-hmm. their identity? If you can't do that, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to read them and they're not going to come back. Yeah. They're going to feel like you're asking too many questions. And yeah, because I've noticed just in the patients that I see, if I see when I see black patients, I can't use I can. I I have to be sneaky about using motivational interviewing or behavior change strategies because they'll see it and they'll be like, nah, they want to just talk. And they Mm want to work it through and we can still get to the same goals and the same solutions, but don't, they don't want me to, you got to go about a different different way. (laughs) And it's like, okay, it is what it is. You know, they they don't want you to, they, they know you're the professional. They're there to see you. They know, you know what you're doing, you know, help, help them in a certain way. Yeah. I definitely understand Mm -hmm. that. So you, you see all types of people at, at Drake. Are you just see students? Are the people that make come in that aren't students, or is it specifically students for you? It's yeah, it's specifically students, but we also see grad students. And oh, okay. you know, Drake has the Bright Community College, so I get you know a range of students, which oh, is wow. why I love it as well. Yeah, anything you can think of with the student is what I get. That's dope. That's dope. So what yeah. is that? What is that dynamic like? You know, working with someone that is at Drake may have a different caseload or student, not caseload, but like different workload 
and mm-hmm. someone that's just, you know, trying to, you know, just getting into college and trying to figure out their life. What are those? Right. Um, I'm sure the conversations are similar, but are there are there any differences? Absolutely. There's so many differences. Uh, that's why I love one. I say I love it because I am so satisfied. I get everything you can think of under the sun. Right. Uh, I get clients that have children. I get clients that are married. I have clients that, you know, um, are, you know, undergrads just trying to navigate being uh, like learning their identity and those that already have it and trying to like work through and explore different relationships, balancing school and life at home, balancing school and these organizations I'm a part of. Um, then I also get, you know, people from all over the world, right. Because I'm an institution I'm working with, you know, international students, you know, so there's those dynamics of, okay, how are you navigating, you know, um, cross-cultural interactions, right. And it's not like here when we think, okay, black people in general, how do we navigate within ourselves? But let's think about different parts of Africa. You know, how are you, Mm. you know, coming from, if you're from Zimbabwe, finding relations, you know, and there's only people around you might be from Nigeria or South Africa. You know, that's not the same as like what we would think here is like, I can go to Florida and connect with black people, you know? So I love just all those different dynamics um, and just understanding that how to support um, just the different experiences. Of course, I work with student athletes as well. So I get that, you know, pocket as well. Mm -hmm. And so everyone comes with something so unique Um, I I feel like I'm never doing the same thing. Although sometimes the common, I can understand like the negative beliefs, but you get a wide range, right. um, Of what people are coming to counseling for. Right. Right. And we, we kind of talked about this um, before we went live. I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit here, just to let the people Mm -hmm. know. So I know you said when you were in school, you didn't even know there was a, a counseling center. Um, when I was at Iowa, I knew there was a counseling center. I yeah. wasn't going nowhere near there because I, I had my OG on my OG note, knows me right. better than a therapist can know me why I got to go to, you know, that it was that whole thing simply because the stigma of saying, Hey, I went to a therapist. Well, it's just right. different when you're saying that to, to my, to your peers at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you noticing about these, these younger kids, um, that are more, in tune with their mental health and more um, interested, are you seeing? Are you seeing more kids these days really into see, getting their mental health uh, taken care of? Yes, honestly, I, I give. I have to give ode to social media. I don't know if it was TikTok or Instagram, but there's been a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, there's been a lot of like, and you see my stuff like influencers. I would never call myself that, but kind of like normalizing, <laughs> like, oh, therapy is cool, you know, because. People right. have an image, right? I'm not going to say what it is, but when someone thinks of a typical therapist, they're not thinking of, you know, like me, a black woman with the Afro that likes to kick it in Jordans and talk about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you're thinking. No. Right? <laughs> and so uh, what they're starting to see is they've always had the issues, right? Like you and I talked, there are always issues, but what therapy looks like and feels like is changing, right? right. The way I'm talking to you right now is how I'm talking to, you know, my clients with a little flair of like, tell me more. Right. But otherwise mm-hmm. it's really just a conversation is nice. And I might teach you some new techniques to connect with yourself, but the vibe and the energy feels like more synergetic. Right. So right. I think that in itself has created word of mouth. Right. And then that word of mouth gets people to want to learn more about what therapy is. I mean, the stigma is very much so still there. And I was telling one of my coworkers, 
Um, it's not that people are no longer feeling the stigma of mental health, right? I think it's starting to open the door to go to therapy, mm-hmm. but when they get inside, I still feel, feel the stigma, that discomfort, like, okay, let's talk about your feelings. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. Or like, oh, I don't know. Do I have anxiety? I don't think I do. You know, it's still there. Uh, so right. now it's like the next step of, okay, now that you've gotten to therapy, how do we still destigmatize you coming back, right? The continuation right. of treatment. So I would say, I, I really give a lot of old to social media, more people that are actively saying I went to therapy that's helped. And since I've been there for sure, the, the people that have come to me are people that have seen me in person. Right. And so they feel that connection. They've heard me talk or their friends have said, you should talk to Kayla. Mm-hmm. I don't even think in their mind, they're starting to see it. Like I'm seeing a therapist. I think they see it as like, Oh, I'm seeing Kayla. I'm seeing Kayla. So it just, right. Yeah. But it that's, just feels personal. But that's yeah. dope though. That's yeah. dope though. Cause that takes, yeah. because there's so much stigma and weight around that word of therapist right like i'm seeing a therapist it's like what's wrong with me like there's even Mm -hmm. there's you know there's all of that when there's i mean there's there's something wrong with everybody but there's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist but when you're seeing kayla that takes a little bit of weight off of it you can really work Mm -hmm. through some things you're not trying to get past that barrier of them not wanting to be there i'm sure there's some of that you know i mean there's some of that barrier there but it's not as heavy. I, I can see somebody being like, hey, man, go go holler at Kayla. And then they yes. go on to check your Instagram and be like, all right, I'll go. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, they're like, oh, she's cool. So you're right. That's take it away. It's like, OK, I'm seeing a therapist. But then eventually they say, who is Kayla? Oh, she's the therapist. Right. Shift it, you know what I mean? Because, um, again, relationships is how it's built. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I've seen I've seen that a lot. And so and this is just, you know, for the people listening, I just started in August. Right. So in my role. So I don't know. I can't imagine what's going to happen. You know, we're shifting cultures. We're shifting generations at this university that incoming students. Right. This is what my goal is. Incoming students. Now, the students here like, hey, you should go check out the counseling center. Right. Right. They have some really awesome therapists and people. They're like, whoa, therapy. Like, no, no, no. It's really good for you. So then it keeps passing. Right. It should be a part of orientation. It really should. You could. And hey, let everybody know where everything's at. You know, Mm -hmm. let them know where you're at, where you're at. I think so. We're free. Right. So at our institution is free. So that's that's huge. That's what I was like. Oh, equitable access. Right. We're not just saying go to therapy and you only people would afford it. It's like, no, go to therapy because you're getting free mental health care. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, my, my last question for you, Kayla, and it is, you know, what is that feeling, you know, or what, when you're with somebody and you see it click, mm. right? What is that? What is that feeling like? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> what is that typical session? Like when they're, they're talking, they're like, and you can just see the lights turn on. Right. And just happening. What to walk, walk me through that. Right. Well, you see some of my posts, so you know yeah. what I really feel like. <laughs> um, honestly, it is. I'm so happy we have masks because I have the hugest smile. <laughs> I try to contain it. Like to hear somebody multiple sessions feel like they don't have value to all of a sudden, you know, kind of shift that. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like I feel a sense of like just honestly, like love and warmth within me, like just to witness someone start to like uncover the reasons they've always been valuable. The reasons like that they have a purpose, especially, especially when I've worked with someone that's suicidal, like Mm. that in itself uh, gives me so much joy and hope for the world Um, to just see someone that went from like, I don't feel like life is worth living and I actively don't want to be a part of it anymore to start moving towards, you know, 
life is kind of hard, but I don't ever want to feel like that again. Right. I know that I've overcome so much. Like it just sends so much energy in my chest. And my favorite, because I'm an extra therapist, is I'm gonna make them see that too. I'm like, wait, wait hold on, hold on. <laughs> like, let's listen to what you just said there. You know, what are you experiencing? And then that piece, right? So it was one thing for me, but then when I share that with them to see them start to recognize, like that feels really good. You know, I'm an EMDR therapist, so I'll say things like, okay, just tap that in, right? I want your body to feel that, you know. Uh, <laughs> So it is really in it, the room shifts, like the therapeutic space starts to feel mm. light and like clouds and fluffy because you're accessing hope, you're accessing faith, and they're starting to actually see what healing feels like, right? And I see that honestly in this setting, I see that consistently. Uh, I see that every week, and that just blows my mind. Sometimes in one session, sometimes it takes like four or five to 10, who knows? Right. But when that moment happens, it's like the click. And they don't even know they're doing it, Corey. Honestly, like, it's like, all of a sudden, they're just like, I don't deserve to be treated that way anymore. Wait, tell me more about what you don't deserve. <laughs> right. So, and then they start, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I'm just uh-huh. wanting to make sure we heard the same thing. Right. That's, that's what I sure. So, it's yeah. definitely fun and it's light. But then they feel like they can keep doing that. I don't take any credit for anything in therapy. My students try to, but I often say, like, you created this experience, right? I just gave you the blueprint. We worked through it together. But truthfully, they're creating that. And so when they leave feeling that way, they leave feeling like I can keep creating this. Right. And I experience hopelessness again. Right. Which is so important because in in my profession as a health coach, which is uh, which is really different from yours, because I feel like someone can see a therapist as long as they want. Right. My job is to give you the tools so you can go on. But it's really hard to do when you know, they, they want me to tell them what to do. You know know what I mean? And it's like, I can't, I can't tell you what to do because once I'm not seeing you anymore, then you're not going to know what to do. Right. But it sounds like when you're working with somebody, you're giving them them tool, their, their tools and helping them work through these, this pain and this stress and anxiety and helping them um, really love themselves and give them confidence. They can, move on. So, Hey, maybe when they, when they graduate, they can still still have that and give that to somebody else or, you know, Mm -hmm. give that to their family. So it's just generational. Yes. And that's what I'm always trying to work towards is the generational, you know, the truth is, I mean, often when they come, they want those tools, like give it, give it to me. Right. Yeah. Um, And you have to be very careful how you you kind of script it, you know, because the truth is you can give somebody whatever, but if that doesn't connect with them, they won't, you know, it won't Mm -hmm. be effective. Um, But yes, that's exactly what I love to do. Uh, Anything generational. Like I want to know the story they're coming in. I was like, yeah, I'm stressed about my test. Okay. Tell me how long you've experienced that stress. Right. Because everything has a narrative. And often when they pull it back, say, oh yeah, I feel this way because of the expectations I've had from my parents, you know, that's created these negative beliefs about myself. I have to be perfect. When we can start to re-script that, then you can see what that feels like. And you start to move that forward. You pay that yeah. for whoever's in front of you. That's the truth of therapy. We mm-hmm. we we hope they come to us so we, we can break up with them. I don't want any of my clients to feel like they, I want you to want to work with me, but I want you right. to also feel like you don't have to work with me, right? So that's the right. goal. There. We're breaking, breaking, breaking generational curses. Yes. 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 There we go. Hey, Kayla, thank you so much for being all with me today. I really appreciate yes. it. Um, if anybody listening wanted to learn more about you, learn more mm-hmm. about what you do and just, you know, just connect with you, where can they find you? 
Yes. So they can find me on YouTube at Question Kayla. I usually do probably like once a year. I do a series called Couch Time with Kayla, where we talk about a specific topic. I just did my first one last fall, which was what is therapy like? So someone's like, I want to learn more about this therapy process. That'd be a good space. So question Kayla at YouTube, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Kayla Bell Consolver. Um, I'm there as well. And then lastly, on Instagram, where I have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's at question <laughs> Kayla 28. So awesome. Awesome. What? And I will have all that linked in the description of the podcast. Um, Kayla, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really had fun. It was, this was a great time. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yes. And everybody, thank you for listening to the healthy project podcast. I'll have you next time.